All right, welcome. Uh, we're here again, Disability Law Show. So good to have you on board today. John Scholes here and Tamar Agopian, courtesy Sam Firu, Tamarkin LLP, the most positively reviewed law firm in the country. Reaching out to Tamar, you can do so anytime. In fact, you're encouraged to if you ever have questions or if you have a dismay about dealing with a long disability insured, disability insured rather, and uh, you know they've, they've, they've told you they're cutting you off or they're not going to accept you, you're not going to get on claim, you've got to appeal, appeal, appeal. All these things can be a, a major your headache. So just put the brakes on before you get back to them and talk to Tamar first. 1-855-821-5900. Help at disabilityrights.ca. That's the email address. We're going to dive into that email address very shortly to get some of your questions answered over the next hour. But we always start off with kind of a week that was a case of the day. Tamar, what do you got uh, cooking on your end? So I wanted to highlight this week a conversation that I had with uh, someone who contacted our firm, herself and her partner, about a situation that we actually don't see a lot, that doesn't come up quite a lot, but it's one that's important because it can impact the coverage that you have. Most of the disability policies that we talk about on our shows are actually group disability policies, John. So ones that individuals have through their employment. Mm -hmm. And so it can happen that you're paying premiums, perhaps your employer is paying premiums, but it all sort of goes into this vacuum and individuals just assume that they have ongoing coverage for health and dental and, of course, long-term disability. What uh, these individuals reached out to us about involved their employer providing them and offering them voluntary layoffs. They actually happened to work at the same location and the two of them decided, look, you know, even in the post-COVID world, I guess their employment, uh, you know, would go dip a little bit. Some, some production levels would dip. So they decided to take these voluntary layoffs the last couple of years. However, uh, in that time, the employer made clear that they would not have long-term disability coverage. And unfortunately, one of the two actually had some progressive health issues going on. And actually, those health issues had informed the decision that she had made to accept the voluntary layoff. But she figured, you know what, I'll take this two, three-month break. Uh, I still have uh, you know, ongoing extended health coverage. I'll recharge my batteries and then, you know, make myself back uh, to work and able to work. And unfortunately, at the heels of one of these voluntary layoffs, her doctors assessed with her that she wasn't capable of returning at all. And she started the path of proceeding to apply for long-term and short-term disability. Short-term disability wasn't a problem. She was actually approved and paid. Where it became an issue was with the long-term disability insurer. Most disability policies have a section that says if you are not actively working before your disability, immediately before your disability, then you are not eligible or covered for any number of benefits under this policy and most especially long-term. John, I've even seen that some policies have specific exceptions with long-term disability to cover off the scenario that if you are not uh, actively working, in other words, putting in a minimum number of hours, that you are not going to be eligible. And in fact, even if premiums are remitted for coverage for long term, you're not going to be covered. It is a technical issue, but one that's important that if you're considering any sort of period or absence from work that perhaps is not health related out of the gates, but may become so you want to be crystal clear about what's happening with your coverages, especially when it comes to disability. The other thing that I wanted to emphasize was that there are some employers who will continue to pay benefits during these layoff periods, 
but the long term in particular is sometimes an exception. So before you're going down this path of thinking about, should I take a leave of absence, whether medically based or not, you want to ensure that it's not going to compromise your long-term disability benefits. And it's a quick look at your policy or your booklet. Maybe ask your HR that question. Look, what's my status? Am I still employed? What's happening with my benefits? So that maybe if you do need to avail yourself of these kinds of coverages, that door is not closed because it can be that harsh. And that was the trouble with this. these individuals that I spoke with. I said, look, you were made aware that you weren't going to have long-term coverage. You took an absence, a voluntary one, and your long-term did not continue through this period of time. And the insurance company now is saying, you, you're not eligible. We can't even get to dollar one or even think about whether or not you have a properly you know, assessed disability claim because we don't have the the coverages for you to even make that consideration. So the actively at work requirement can be a harsh one, but I thought we would start off talking about it on the show because it can work much like some of the other technical issues that we talk about that can bar a potentially valid disability claim. Now, this scenario would be different though, John, if the employer hadn't made the claimant aware or if there were other intervening factors that were involved. So I don't want our listeners to assume, oh, I've been not working for three months. It must mean it must disqualify me for LTD. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. It's just that there is this technical piece of it that could be tied to a layoff that could negatively impact your eligibility for long-term disability benefits. It just, I mean, it's totally an employment law thing, but first of all, the layoff, but then secondly, is that normal from your experience? Is the, is the employer saying, yeah, by the way, when this happens, you're also losing this coverage? I mean, I didn't think they could do that. I thought if they were still in layoff, they're still, for all intents and purposes, employed in quotation signs, but uh, apparently, apparently not, right? Well, I mean, you're right. It is an employment question more so than a disability one, but you yeah. can see that it can have an impact on your disability coverage. Yeah. And so, and look, we specialize in both areas of the law, John, and, and me, myself, and included with others in our team. And for these exact reasons that there could be potentially an avenue against an employer if they weren't transparent about what was happening with coverages at the time that these types of layoffs are being offered. Bear in mind, yes, you are entitled to extended health coverage through this period of time. That's different, though, than short-term, possibly, and or long-term disability benefits is all. So I think it's important for individuals to just go into it knowing that if their choice for taking a layoff, now this is a voluntary one, not one that the employer has actually mandated, which also makes a difference, but if it's one that you chose to take and in the back of your mind you're like, well, it's kind of my health as well, right. then you might want to consider short-term disability leave instead of taking that voluntary layoff so that you don't have gaps in time where you weren't working and potentially excluding yourself from meeting these kinds of eligibility requirements mm -hmm. to make that application. Because, you know... <laughs> John, people go into it with short-term leaves thinking this isn't going to last, right? I'm going to be off four, six, eight weeks. I'll be back at work. I just need a break. You know, my doctor's saying this is going to help me. And then inevitably it, it can extend and you're not making the kind of strides or, or, you know, improvements that you expected or your doctor expected. And it can quite quickly turn from short-term to a long-term claim. And you want to make sure you understand all your rights as you're going through that process so that you still have access to the benefit. That's really the key. 
it's a whole host of conversation. We're going to talk about it through the show, right? Yep. If you're improperly denied and these sorts of things. But if you can't get past that coverage issue, you're not going to get very far in even getting the opportunity to challenge the disability insurer if they then make the decision to cut off the claim. Again, one of a billion reasons to reach out to Tamar and the team because these are uh, confusing times to be in, especially dealing with your long-term disability insurer. And you're at a sometimes you can be at a physical and mental disability as well, so you'll need that help uh, dealing with them because you're already trying to deal with your uh, your your physical uh, problems or mental problems as well. So always reach out one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred help at disabilityrights.ca, which is where we're going to go. First email of the uh, of the show comes from Rose Tamar says, guys, I contracted. Uh, COVID in December 2021. I've never really recovered. I'm exhausted all the time. My brain is in a constant fog and I have days where my body aches all over. I have good days and bad days, but even on my best day, there's there's no way I could go back to my job for a full day. I'm an executive assistant, let alone go back on a regular basis. I was denied LTD benefits last year. I'd like to start a claim, but what happens if I get better before we finish the claim? I really want to go back to work when I'm better, and I, I don't want to start a claim if uh, it'll get in the way, right? Can you let me know how you would deal with my case if we started a claim and I was able to return to work? So Rose is kind of looking positive already, but still Absolutely. not sure how to handle it, right? What do you think? I, I think it's an excellent email, John, because yeah. I think it's important for our listeners to hear from us that that is what we want. We want people like Rose, like any of our clients, to actually get better and get back to work. That is an ideal scenario because you're now no longer in a position where you have to fight the disability insurer for a fraction of a fraction of what you're owed, right? Um, you know, we know this. LTD is only two-thirds of your full salary. So it doesn't deter me, actually, in a situation like Rose's that she is looking for some optimism and some opportunity to get better and recover. These disability policies have provisions in there that say you have to try and make those strides. And if you're not, if you're not getting treatment for your condition and not trying to make those efforts to get better, we don't have to pay you the LTD. So I think it it aligns really well with what we do and how we move forward with our disability claims. The, the only real consequence, I think, for Rose would be that it potentially caps her disability claim. For the period of time that she was totally disabled from her job as an executive assistant to the point where she successfully returns to work but it's it's not just that period of time though right john i mean you're going to have a gradual return back probably for rose you want to take careful steps to make that return successful there's still recurrence provisions that could be at play if she finds that she can't sustain that level of work you know, we'll talk about top-up claims and all sorts of other things, but just to the point of what Rose is saying is that just because you've started a legal claim against the insurer, who, by the way, is denied for over a year, it sounds like, from what she's described, it means that there's at least a year of LTD benefits that's payable to you, and it shouldn't discourage you if you think that a return to work is on the horizon. That is part and parcel of the discussion that we would have with the disability insurer regardless. So... I give Rose a lot of credit for continuing to pursue this disability claim and unfortunately though finds herself in what we're seeing with a lot of other disability claimants, which is that when there's a COVID component in any shape or form, John, we're seeing a lot of resistance from the disability insurers in approving these kinds of claims. 
I think they're concerned perhaps that there's going to be a floodgate of claims. I, most definitely, there's not enough information medically as to the start and end of potentially a long COVID claim. And so I think that doesn't fit within what insurers like to do, which is to check off boxes and close things out and get you off the, the policy. And so I think for Rose, it becomes that much more important to assert her legal rights through a legal claim as opposed to trying to do this dance of appealing and other things that, that the insurer may have you do and running through those hoops, because I don't see that being successful in the end for her. And it may take away from her recovery ultimately, which is what her goal is. And I give her a lot of credit for that. And with that, we'll take our first short break. Get back into your uh, more your emails and questions. Do not hesitate to send them along, even outside the hour of the show. Of course, tomorrow and our team always ready to have some correspondence with you and get you down that road of some answers and some satisfaction. Phone call also works, uh, obviously, 1-855-821-5900. And that email address is help at disabilityrights.ca. We'll continue more. The Disability Law Show is coming right up. Hang on. And back with more of the Disability Law Show this hour. Thank you so much for hanging in there. I want to make you aware that you can reach out to Tamar Agopian and her team at the firm anytime, one 855 821-5900 in addition to the email. You can also go to another website. It's called MyDisabilityQuestions.com. That whole thing was put together and crafted so you can type questions uh, through your smartphone, your tablet, your desktop, whatever. If you have any questions, you don't necessarily want to have a phone chat, right? You just want to use your fingers and type away. MyDisabilityQuestions.com. It is uh, designed, the algorithm, uh, with a searchable database so a similar question to yours may have been asked. You can use that particular part of the tool. If not, leave it there and it will get answered again one more time. My disability questions.com we're talking about uh, rose just before the uh the break uh looking forward to going back to work if things uh, eventually clear probably with your help as well uh tomorrow if rose were to go back to work only part-time though is she still entitled to ltd benefits because you get that question a lot i'm not full-time or i was full-time now i'm part-time am i am i still under that umbrella Really good question, John, and I think that the short answer, because I always want to give the short answer first, is yes, she could actually still be entitled to long-term disability benefits. Here's how that would work. The disability policies have a section that talks about rehabilitation, and some of them are called rehab provisions, some are called other words, but the, the long and short of it is that if you are in the process of returning back, and this is something that you've done in conjunction with the long-term disability insurer, they will support additional long-term disability payments and take into account what you're earning as you're transitioning back to full-time duties. So where it becomes more difficult is, <laughs> what if Rose can never achieve full-time hours and duties? That becomes more challenging. I'm actually running a case like that just right now for a claimant who you know, the doctor has said her conditions are permanent. She's not going to work more than 20 hours a week. Insurance company accepted and paid on that basis for a period of time. But she's in her 40s, John. And then they ended up just cutting her off for silly reasons and reasons of impatience, I think, more than anything else. But the insurer had been paying under this rehabilitation provision for a number of months, if not a year, I believe. And Rose could find herself in a similar situation where medically, if there is documentation supporting that she cannot increase her hours and a health issue that's preventing increasing those hours, then that does put it back on the disability insurer to put in these calculations that take into account what she's earning, how much she's working, and what the extra amount is, so to speak, as an LTD payment 
to make her whole. Now, it's never going to make you fully whole, though, because there are provisions also in the policy that say, if you're on disability, you're never going to make more than 85% of what you were making before. We call this the all-source maximum. In other words, whether we're paying you as disability insurer or you're getting money from an employer or you're getting CPP disability benefits, the combination of all of these sources of income cannot exceed more than 85%. And if it does, the insurance company is going to claw back what they're paying you, okay? It can get really complicated, John. Lots of math, my least favorite subject, but an important one for individuals like Rose who do have that goal to get back to work, who want to do that in a way that's safe, that's going to be successful, but that perhaps may get to a tipping point where her tolerance cannot exceed a certain number of hours a week. I don't want our listeners to necessarily bank on the fact that the LTD insurer is going to step up, much like the client I have now. They absolutely do the opposite. They don't want to pay you forever for a partial work capacity, and that's, of course, assuming your employer is going to continue to accommodate and do the things they are supposed to do. But... These provisions are in these policies for a reason. They are meant to encourage people like Rose to get back to work. So they can't talk out of both sides of their mouth, John. It can't just Mm. be for the insurance company to say, no, no, you're not totally disabled enough and you can work and we're not going to pay you anyway, even though our policy says that we should for a period of time um, while you're transitioning back to work. So the short answer is yes. The long answer, well, there you go. You've got it. Uh, and if you've got any other questions out there, folks, and this is sounding sort of familiar, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. Our consultations are absolutely free. Happy to work this through with anyone who has any further questions about a partial work capacity and a potential top-up claim against the disability insurer. And as Tamara laid out there, the number to call anytime, one 855 Let's go down to Asher's email. says, guys, I paid for uh, life and disability protection on my mortgage line of credit. My doctor put me off work because of my health, and I recently started getting this benefit to help pay for my mortgage. I'm in the process of applying for LTD benefits now through work. I'm wondering if I'm allowed to collect from both the mortgage disability benefit and LTD benefits, considering the money comes from two different sources. What do you think? It's possible, Asher. It's possible. That's what I think. I think that what you want to know is what does the LTD disability policy wording say about payments that you might be getting from a different insurer for disability. As I've said uh, before on our show, the policy, the long-term disability policy, is essentially the Bible, so to speak, in the sense that that will govern what the disability insurer will do in circumstances like this and where they can get credits or not get credits for things that you might also be accessing while you are on disability. I think the mortgage mortgage protection one, though, John, it's an interesting policy. It's got similar wording to what we talk about on our show with long term, but it is tied to mortgages and it is typically different insurers who offer these kinds of products and they're usually capped. So if Asher's wondering, look, you know, can I get uh, you know mortgage protection as long as I can get LTD? No, typically it's usually only 24 months that you can get you can get mortgage protection. And those disability policies are capped to a certain amount. Let's say it's $1,000 or $2,000 a month. 
And they will make, those mortgage protection insurance uh, companies will make independent decisions from the long-term disability insurer on whether or not you qualify. I think it's absolutely the right decision, though, that he pursue both. Uh, I think everyone should pursue every opportunity for income compensation while you're recovering from a health issue. Uh, but you want to be mindful of the fact that there could be an interplay or an interaction between getting income from one source and another source. So the conclusion is he should get a copy of his LTD policy. And, and I'm not talking the employee booklet, by the way, John. That seems to be what employers are offering claimants. That's that's not the policy wording. You want the actual document. Usually it's 30, 40, 50, sometimes 100 pages. And that can come either from your employer or actually the disability insurer. You can put it in writing. They are legally required under the Insurance Act to provide you with a copy if you put it to them in writing and send it over to us. We'll take a quick peek and we'll see if the two have any sort of measure or credit against each other or whether or not Asher can actually achieve and obtain both benefits at the same time, at least for a period of time. Asher, appreciate the email. Uh, here's the phone number if you didn't catch it. Uh, listening to the show today, one 821 5900 Feel free to reach out by phone and ask any more questions that uh, come to mind in the interim. Again, I mentioned uh, another website called MyDisabilityQuestions.com. You can use that uh, freely just to ask your questions. They will be answered by one of tomorrow's team for sure. And first one from it says, uh, tomorrow is, alcohol- is alcoholism a legitimate disability and a reason to claim LTD benefits? Asking for a friend. Mm-hmm. Good question. It's a really, really good question. It is absolutely a legitimate disability. I mean, it's it's so well recognized, John. It is part of the criteria in the DSM uh, five, six. I think we're at six now, which is the criteria that psychiatrists and psychologists and doctors use to diagnose individuals with different health conditions. Alcoholism is one. Um, it's a recognized disability, uh, but. Disability insurers routinely will deny claims that have an alcoholism component to it. Why do they do that? It's frustrating, but the disability policies still have the vestiges of an exclusion that speaks to a disability that has a substance use or abuse component. So why I say vestiges is because there have been some rulings now across the country that mm-hmm. say that these kinds of exclusions are discriminatory because the substance use issues are valid disability claims. But disability insurers will continue to include them in their policy wording. And it says that if your disability is payable and you meet the test of total disability under our policy, but your disability stems from or is related from some kind of substance use or abuse, that includes alcohol use, it includes drugs, um, recreational and otherwise, and if so, we are entitled to rely on this exclusion to deny your claim. And so when you get this kind of a denial letter, John, you think to yourself, well, okay, I guess the policy says, you know, this is what it says and I have to accept it and, well, Tamar said the policy is the Bible, so I guess they must be right. They are not right. They are not right because I am aware of this, ca- this case law that says that, you know, you cannot exclude on this basis. What the courts have also said, John, that if an insurer is going to rely on exclusion like this, the onus is on them to ensure that they've properly relied upon it. In other words, 
the policy itself will be read very broadly, but an, an exclusion will be read very narrowly. And so that narrow interpretation of the policy can sometimes be very favorable to an individual who is suffering from alcoholism because it allows us and the individual to bring in concepts like reasonableness. So if someone is trying to get better and is taking reasonable efforts to get better and deal with their substance use issues and possibly other disabling health aspects of their claim, then it cannot be held against them by way of this exclusion to deny the disability claim. Insurers will still do it though, John, because they know that it will discourage someone from moving forward with a legal claim. And that's what is most frustrating with these kinds of questions and policy wording is that you're already struggling, you're down this path, you're trying to get better, whether that's AA meetings, psychotherapy, rehab, counseling, there's so many different ways that people can get help for these kinds of issues. And then you've got that door slammed in your face by the disability insurer saying, hey, we don't think you're trying hard enough. We've got this exclusion. We're impatient. We don't want to keep paying. And so we're going to close that door. Let us help you. If you're in this situation, we're only a phone call away. We'll take a short break. Lots more to go here. And if you want to reach out again, that website, we just pulled that one from. You can use any time uh, freely. Of course, mydisabilityquestions.com is how you do that. And uh, the email address, which we'll continue to work our way through here for the remainder of the hour, is my disability, uh, pardon me, help at disabilityrights.ca. Again, help at disabilityrights.ca. And always grab that phone. Use that phone number. It's available for you anytime, one 855 2-1-5900. Many times in this uh, type of situation, you want to reach out, have more of a private conversation with Tamara and her team, and that will uh, allow you to do so. Again, one 855 Disability Law Show, that's what you're listening to. Lots more coming up. Hang on. Yep, welcome back. Disability Law Show. Still have some minutes. You can always reach out beyond this hour, right? I mean, uh, we appreciate you listening to the show every week and, and, and learning stuff and then reaching out afterwards to Tamar and her team. But the rest of the week, you can do so. That's why the phone and contact information is always there for you. one 821 5900 Help at Disability Rights. .ca, the email address. If you shorten that to the website, disabilityrights.ca, you can go there. There's the uh, the Knowledge Center drop-down menu, Media, right there. Click on that. It'll give you links to uh, our TV shows as well, which have been running for uh, for several years. You can catch up on those, and new ones posted all the time. And again, that's simply at disabilityrights.ca. And, of course, contact information throughout that uh, that website as well. Okay, next email is going to be, let's get into Joanna's email. It says, guys, I was on short-term disability for a separate issue before returning to work. Not long after, my daughter passed away, causing me to develop PTSD and severe depression. I applied for long-term disability benefits on my doctor's advice, but I was denied benefits and told I could still work because I was not, quote-unquote, we love this one, totally disabled. How about that, Tamara? Yep, I know, right? Uh, You know, I'm so sympathetic with Joanna's situation, and I just, you know, when you think about someone who's experienced, obviously she had prior health issues, then she's experienced this devastating loss uh, of a child. And then to have the insurance company add insult to injury and say, you're not disabled enough and you should be able to work. I mean, John, it's it's frankly disgusting. And this is the, thing, the kinds of things that really get my blood boiling. Because totally disabled doesn't mean that Joanna is laid up in bed every single day and needs you know a feeding tube. That's not what that means. It means that she's not capable as a result of her health from performing typically her own occupation, at least out of the gates, which is where she's at with her disability claim. And I would expect 
Given that she had a prior short-term claim, and now she's developed post-traumatic stress disorder, that this is something that absolutely she cannot work through. Just the grief alone, John, is going to be something that will be significant for Joanne, Joanna rather, to overcome and get some concerted treatment on. And, you know, I think disability insurers still do not have a very good understanding with these kinds of mental health claims. Their fallback position is always, well, lots of people have mental health claims, you know, depression and anxiety, and they work and they go to a therapist and they take medication and they still work. And I think when there is that assumption and that assumption is used across the board with everyone, uh, with these adjusters, who, by the way, have zero training, medical training, very little empathy or sympathy. It's just, it's terrible. And it's a recipe for these kinds of poor decisions. And this screams to me uh, a, dis in a clear legal claim because there are other elements here that are exposed to this to the disability insurer. Because I suspect, John, if I speak to Joanna, she's going to tell me, yeah, you know what, tomorrow, once I got that denial, it really just triggered something or it made my symptoms worse. And of course, of course it would. It makes yep. sense that it would. And courts have recognized that that threshold to a warrant damages in a situation like this is quite low. Joanna would just need to demonstrate that there was a disturbance, that there was an aggravation. And that warrants tens of thousands on top of the actual LTD benefits that she's also absolutely entitled to. So look, I'm wondering what is going on here. I think what triggered in my mind is the idea that she had a prior short-term claim. I wondered if it was the same insurer, perhaps. And so if it was the same insurer, their awareness of a prior claim, perhaps, was influencing their, the, the decision on the current claim perhaps concerned that there was two separate health issues, neither of which are easy to resolve. Uh, perhaps there's some complexity there and they don't want Joanna on claim for a protracted period of time. That just doesn't fit with their model anyway. They want to collect premiums and not pay these types of claims. So well, that's one thought that I had. The other thought that I had was, you know, it, it shouldn't actually matter, John, if there are two health issues. Right. So, you know, we get this question a lot, right? I mean, tomorrow, you know, if I started out with one issue, health issue, and maybe that resolved, but I developed something else or some other health issues emerged as I was on claim or pursuing benefits, you know, does that mean that I'm disentitled now? Do I have to make a new claim? No, you absolutely don't. Just because your health issues started with one thing and now it's something else. Either way, if you've got those restrictions and limitations that are preventing you from working, regardless of what the function is, what the label is, what the diagnosis is, if those symptoms are there and your doctor is supporting you cannot work, you are absolutely entitled to disability benefits. And if the insurance company makes things worse, it is very important to exert those rights and make sure that they don't get away with this kind of stuff, John. Because uh, I'm just so sympathetic with Joanna's situation, um, being a parent myself, and That's right. the idea that she would feel, you know, that she wasn't, she didn't have an avenue to go forward, uh, is really something that's difficult for me to accept. Which is why we do the shows that we do and the resources that we have. You know, John, you'll tell our, our listeners, of course, mydisabilityquestions.com and all these other places where you can get some free advice and really just formulate whether or not it makes sense to have a conversation with us and start that legal claim. Losing a daughter, and that's not a, that I couldn't think of a more totally disabled situation for a right? parent that sits just, you know, give me a break. It's 
BS, pardon my French, but there you go. Thanks for answering that uh, so well. Uh, Tamar, as far as the short term to long term is concerned, um, separate application or once you're kind of in the fray or how difficult is that to navigate? Well, so look, I mean, it, it can be difficult because I think most employers don't necessarily understand if you need a fresh application and mm-hmm. most claimants, because they have group policies, will go to their employer first and say, hey, uh, do I need another application? Or perhaps it doesn't even come up. I've, I've had conversations with people who are like, well, I was never told to apply for long term. I just assumed I was going to transition from short term to long term. Don't make that assumption. Okay. You want right. to know that for a fact. Because what can happen is, even if it's the same insurer for short-term and long-term, there's one that comes to mind that routinely will say, if you didn't submit the long-term application, even though we knew about your short-term claim, even though we were involved with your short-term claim, we must see that long-term application, otherwise you're not entitled. Courts have said no, that's not true, but why get it that far, right? Like, I don't want people to have to deal with that frustration. So, look make the short-term claim, try and get some information um, sort of along the way if you think your health issues are going to persist as to what to do with your long-term claim. Get ahead of that. There are very strict time, fi- time frames rather, excuse me, that you must apply within. So you don't want to lose those time frames and you want to get those forms early so that you can get ahead of it, get your doctors to complete that stuff and check off that box. Because I also think that having that long-term application completed also creates contemporaneous medical information. So it's further support that your doctor is putting into these forms saying, I still maintain that, you know, tomorrow is totally disabled and not capable of working. And on that basis, I am recommending the long-term application and the long-term claim. Always super helpful to know all of that and submit all of that information. A few minutes to go, but we'll take one more short break. As we uh, get into that, I'll give you the phone number again to reach out. Keep this phone number with you as well to uh, to call Tamar or a member of her uh, her awesome team, one 821 5900 Another way to get information without even making the phone call, ltdfaq.ca. It's simple. You go there. It's like blocks. You just scroll down and pick whatever block you need. You want to talk about return to work or applying for disability benefits, long-term disability appeals. It's all there. You just click on them and read the short notations. They're super easy to navigate again ltdfaq.ca we'll bounce over to another email neil yours is coming up next pal thanks for uh, thanks for writing and we'll get to that after the short break as we continue with the disability law show hang on yeah we're back a few minutes to go you bet this is the disability law show tamara gopian is your lawyer always here to answer your questions and after the show of course always invited to have that lengthier private co- consultation or at least a phone call rather let me say that one 821 5900 is the way you reach out to Tamar, help at disabilityrights.ca. That's constantly the email you want to use. That's a good one. Uh, Neil, thanks for writing in. Says, guys, I work in the manufacturing industry and have been off work for a year due to a back injury. I applied for LTD shortly after going on leave, but was denied. I've just sent in my second appeal, but I'm worried I'll be denied again. Do I have any other options? Neil is crystal balling this. We can almost guarantee he'll be denied a second appeal for sure. So what are the options, uh, tomorrow? <sighs> so yep. the, uh, this is the time, right? We talk mm-hmm. about appeals. Uh, yep. The other option, Neil, is to start the legal claim. And this is why I despise the appeal process is because it frustrates people, John. It frustrates them that they're being told by the disability insurer, no, 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 no again. Nope. We're saying no one more time. But if you want to appeal again, go right ahead and you could submit more information or you can, 
you know, put in some other uh, plea or a letter or some kind of request for pretty please, 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 can you please approve this? And when people are faced with these repeated no's, what's also happening is that they are not getting a monthly benefit. They don't have any income coming in. And the insurance companies bank on this, John. They are waiting for people to get desperate enough to just force themselves back into a work setting that they cannot do because their health continues to prevent them from working, but they win either way. So they've said no to you. They don't have to pay you. Now you're back at work and they don't have to pay you either. And so I want to see people like Neil come to us sooner. I'd prefer people don't go down the road of an appeal for this exact reason that there's usually three kicks at the can. I want to say maybe four same type of people who are looking at the disability claim, you know, someone in the next cubicle. I mean, the first level is absolutely the same adjuster. So the same person who has said no to you now, you're just saying to them, can you please look at it again? Hmm. It's human nature, John. Once you've made a decision, you're not going to change your decision. And so this is the challenge, though, because they get these denial letters. They say, for whatever reason, you're not totally disabled, insufficient medical, change of definition. You know, those are the common denials that we see. And the end, it says, but you can appeal, and we will look at the appeal, and you've got 30 days to appeal. Doesn't say anywhere when they're going to respond to you once you put in that appeal. There's no time frames involved. And what they're banking on is the fact that they're going to run down that clock to start that legal claim because it is a two-year window of time. And, and I know people say two years is a long time tomorrow. I say, yeah, but think about it, three appeals. That could take you pretty darn close to that two-year mark if the insurance company takes their precious time to respond to you, which they will. And in that time, I could have started the legal claim and settled the legal claim for you before you're done appeal number two or three. And I'd rather have that opportunity to do it because it's going to take it out of the hands of that adjuster. That person who's already said no to you one time, two times, three times, it's not going to be put in the hands of one of their lawyers and someone specifically meant at the insurance company to look at these disability claims and to look at the risks. And here's the risk with Neil. He works in the manufacturing industry and he's got a physical disability. Physical disability, physical job, John, it's, mm -hmm. it's an automatic. That is absolutely a totally disabling health issue. So why is it that they're resisting his claim? I mean, look, I want to see the medical information. It would be nice to know f further facts on what's happening with Neil and what the insurer exactly is saying in terms of denying the claim. But I've got to think it's because they're concerned they're going to have him on for a while. And if they're concerned that they're going to have you on for a while, no appeal is going to change their mind. But I will change their mind. <laughs> the legal claim is going to change their mind. Because I'm going to put pressure on them on those risks, reputational risks, financial risks, about what it will do if they continue to deny this claim. And they are risk adverse, John. They will come to the table. We have very high degree of success in settling these claims for our clients within a matter of months. And at least they haven't been frustrated going through appeal after appeal and getting to a point where they're so financially destitute that the only choice they have is to get back to work, which is never good for the claimant right? Good for the insurance yeah. company, never good for the claimant. All right, let's move down to Greta's email. Finally, here to be the last one for the show. Thank you, Greta, ahead of time for this one. It says, guys, I applied for long-term disability due to a heart condition, and my application was approved. I don't understand why the insurance company is now telling me I have to apply for CPP disability benefits. Is this something I have to do? <laughs> good question, Greta. 
I would say it's not something that you necessarily have to do, but it is something that I would encourage. And here's mm -hmm. why. The disability policy will say that, you know, we as disability insurer will pay you this amount, usually two thirds of what you're making. But if you get these other sources of income or you're eligible for these other sources of income, we will get to deduct it. Most policies even go so far as to say, if we think you should get it, we can estimate an amount and take that against your LTD benefit. So I have seen a couple of insurers routinely then say to claimants, you must apply. The policy doesn't say you must apply. It just says that if you're eligible, we get to take that credit. But I actually think that there is some positives here for Greta to apply. I don't see a lot of downside in doing so because if the government has now approved your disability claim as severe and prolonged, which is the test to qualify, by the way, for CPP disability, then it's a really helpful leverage to the disability insurer to say, okay, well, this must mean then that my LTD benefits should continue. Now, you will get less, Greta. You are going to get less money from your LTD insurer because the rest of the money is going to come from the government. But overall, you should be made whole, generally speaking. There's some tax involved with CPP disability, but overall, you should be made on the whole. And I think that it will help to demonstrate to the disability insurer that a likelihood for a return to work is not on the horizon. Because a CPP application will also require your doctor to complete forms to also meet those criteria, the test of severe and prolonged. So right. I, I think that the good in these kinds of scenarios, John, does outweigh the bad in terms of the offset or the deduction that's available. And the good side being that you're being compliant with the insurer's request and you're essentially creating further medical support that you are not capable of working moving forward. So apply. Look, I mean, my clients have said, John, that it can take like four to six months sometimes to get a response from the disability insurer, or sorry, rather from the government on yeah. the CPP applications. So it's not going to be an overnight, uh, you know, process anyway. Uh, but it doesn't have the same rigors as it would having to deal with an adjuster and doing the long-term claim. And while you're at it, you might as well apply for the disability tax credit as well. Yep. Same test to qualify. It reduces your taxability of any income or earnings. And, you know, I think it's yet another form. Uh, I know it's a lot of forms. I get it. But I think that in the end, Greta, if the disability insurer were to cut you off, and you've got your CPP disability benefits still ongoing, then at least you've got some financial support month over month while we look at these opportunities to challenge the disability insurer. Because I actually like those profiles, John, of claims where the disability insurer has denied, but they are CPP approved. Because I think to myself, why is it that the disability insurer has denied someone right. like this with this profile? So I think there are a lot of positives in applying, but the idea of having to do so I have yet to come across a policy that says you must apply. But my recommendation generally is that it is a good thing and that you should. Greta, appreciate that uh, email. Good way to close off the show this hour. Want to uh, give you the contact information as, uh, as we roll out the door here and you continue on with your day. one 821 5900 the number. Email address we always use is help at disabilityrights.ca. And for other questions can be asked at mydisabilityquestions.com. And then finally, I mentioned those quick, easy to read uh, notations about uh, all the topics we talk about on the show. Those can be clicked upon easily at ltdfaq.ca. And we'll catch you next time on the Disability Law Show.